Inside each and every one of us, there is a desire to belong, to know that we can show up as we are without judgment or justification, to know what it feels like to be wanted and longed for, to know the power of community. But what if each and every one of us had the power to create belonging from within? What if there were people already building spaces for you to be you? What if they believe so deeply in the power of connections, justice, collaboration, creativity, and empathy that they knew they could heal the world? That is where you belong. And the exploration of spaces, places, and experiences where we allow ourselves to be free. There is a place where you belong. Welcome. We've been waiting for you to arrive. Hi there, and welcome to Where You Belong, the podcast where we explore spaces, places, and experiences where we allow ourselves to be. My name is Anna Chapman, and I'm your host on this journey. And today I am so very grateful because I get to share an amazing conversation I had with Jennifer Price Davis, our guest today. And Jennifer is, for those of you who don't know, she is an artist, she's a children's book author, and a lot of her work comes from her own understanding and healing of finding her space to play as a Black woman as a teacher, as a healer, and also just as like a once child herself, how to heal some of those initial understandings and learnings, and also how we find more play in our lives now as adults and how we create a space to start to explore what play might look like if you didn't get a chance for play as a child. I also just love the way Jennifer thinks and shares and is so freely vulnerable and just sort of proud to be who she is and the quirks that she has. So as always, you can reach out and share any thoughts, feelings, ideas at I am Anna Chapman on Instagram, or you can email me I am Anna Chapman at gmail.com. And we can dig into what you're loving, what you're confused about, or just any comments or thoughts you have. So, as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy Belonging with Jennifer Price Davis. I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Where You Belong. I am so excited because today we have Jennifer Price Davis with us. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing super well. It's oh, my birthday. So happy. <laughs> it's your birthday. Yes, this is yeah. a special birthday episode. Jennifer was kind enough to share her presence with us on your birthday. So I would love now if you could share a little bit about who you are and what you do for people who haven't had the honor of knowing you. Sure, I am an artist and an author, a children's book author and illustrator. I created a series called the 100 Angel Series, which many people, I guess, that we're connected with may be familiar with, but we have mutual connections. My work, essentially, it centers Black women and girls, but attempts to address injustice on a broader scale. And um, through all of my work, from my kids' books to my angels, 
to my abstract work, I try to both push against oppression, but also create space to imagine liberated spaces, uh, hearing our own voices. I do art journaling workshops are about sort of hearing our own voice by sharing our marks in community and through that sometimes sharing our stories. Um, so I guess the broader thing is like healing work <laughs> is what I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could call it and it comes through art and all the stuff I mentioned. That's what I do. It's amazing. Yeah, I was introduced to your work initially when I was working with Be Nourished and you created the Body Trust Angel that I actually have in my bathroom and I look at her every day and just remind myself that it is my birthright to have a body dress. And I'm curious how you sort of landed on art as your medium for sharing and for healing. Like what was that journey like? Oh, that's a really great question. So I've been an artist since I was a little girl. And my sister and I would do like finger paints with the paper that my mom brought home from work. And always I would put five cents in the corner. I always had this idea that I would sell my art. (gasps) (laughs) Isn't that fun? That's so fun. And what a bargain for your art. Just a fun (laughs) Right. It was like the 70s. So I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of money back then. No, I don't know. But, yeah. It's but, at least um, worth a dollar now. Yeah, exactly. At least. And so as I got older, I guess just sort of living my own life and experiencing, you know, just I guess just experiencing life in various forms of oppression, you know, and I guess the more I came into awareness of inequality, I think that it was hard for me to ignore. But then mm. also I ended up majoring in psychology and da 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 da, you know, all the, the securitist path to and I landed on art therapy counseling as a, a graduate school major. And I guess art therapy is where I kind of found healing in art had a relationship that maybe I wasn't even aware of that was important to me before. My mom was the one who told me about art therapy. After graduate school, I'm trying to give you the short version. And I'll say the short version is that I both loved graduate school and I loved my experience. And I was just sharing with a friend that, and I think I shared it on Instagram too, because I am sort of a an exhibitionist about my love it out. Yeah. I cried like my last two years of my art therapy program and I could not figure out like why was I crying? But I had a small child at the time and I was working full time. So I was definitely overwhelmed. But it took some years later for me to recognize that on some level, I felt like I was learning how to implement certain practices that are sort of intended, you know, like cognitive behavioral therapy, even, you know, some art techniques and stuff. But ultimately, I think now looking back, I didn't see myself in that process. I didn't Uh, see heat and I didn't see like what I thought of. And like I said, I loved my program. I think I had to make the connections for myself over time. But I feel like I came to now understand that I see healing as something that obviously different connects modalities can help facilitate healing. But, you know, like if the goal is if someone's like I was teased as a young person for being fat. And I feel like if I go to a therapist and say, you know, I'm really struggling with 
this experience and finding sort of peace with my body. If they tell me to go on a diet, like that's not healing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think I started to sort of see some processes as sort of just affirming, like we sort of assume that the system works. And so healing is meant to help people fall in line with the system. And so I think that's where all the tears came from. And so, um, yeah, I just, so art, eventually started doing art because I needed to, and I couldn't, you know, that little girl who was putting five cents on her artwork was still very much within me and I needed to make art and sell it. I just think it's just a part of who I am. So people weren't buying my art. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? If nobody's buying it, I might as well do what I want and play and try things. And the 100 Angels series kind of was born out of that. And then I just really got stronger through the process in my own voice, basically, and really felt like I couldn't present like these very like cute or, you know, these images that were pleasing and then pretend like there wasn't this whole other world that I was aware of. So I felt like merging them felt like good because to me, that's life. Like life has. It's real. You know, right. Like there's this beauty. There's these layers of like whimsy and joy. And then there's just like a lot of stuff, muck and gross and structural oppression and racism. And and so I felt like being able to present them in those layers through the angels felt, it just felt honest. And then it seemed to resonate with people. Just everything else I do kind of stems from that same place of trying to sort of engage with the layers and the complexities and, and sort of encourage others to speak their voice and really examine systems and structures that are oppressive and gross and need to be dismantled. So I hope I answered (laughs) your question. (laughs) You did. You did. And actually it gave me just a really beautiful understanding too of like, I think your work is so approachable because of the whimsy part, Mm -hmm. but then there's Mm -hmm. a depth It's kind of how I felt is you can either dive in with you and be like, this is like what's here as well. Or Mm -hmm. you can sit on the like level of whimsy and be like, oh, look how cute. I love that you give that option. And you also give that as like the whole package because that's what you needed. And that's how Mm -hmm. you sort of found your style and your parts of your purpose and I love that. And I loved when you made the Be Nourished Angel because I know that Jada and Hillary were like, just a little fatter, just a little fatter. Yes, yes. How sweet that was to get to play with that and to get to really like hold space for the fat angel was like so fun. <laughs> yes, yes. I loved that process. And you're right. It was such a permission, like not to have to think thin. I think that's a brand. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I think it's like just a protein. Yeah. 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 I feel like I see them in the store sometimes. Yeah. That was such an awesome process and permission. And really beyond after the Body Trust Angel I feel like it sort of informed my other pieces where I felt a lot more freedom to have more variety in body sizes. I have lots of angels with like bellies and their bellies out. It's on purpose and it's like a healing process for me to sort of explore 
bellies through the angels. But yeah, I love that process. Yeah. Tell me about how you gather. I know that you've been doing some work now with like children's writing. And Uh I'm wondering like what that process is like and what's kind of inspiring that and what you're loving about that. Well, that's a really great question. Oh, hey. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I'm a preschool teacher. And before I was a preschool teacher, though, I wrote a book that's somewhere lost in the world that I have a text for. Maybe one day I'll write it again and illustrate it again. But I just enjoy that interaction with kids. But I also recognize that some work in terms of dismantling oppression and oppressive system starts super young yeah and I think sort of the first things we can do is learn how to give kids space to be so my first book that only I know about (laughs) was called (laughs) I love you little monster and it was actually based on my son who like would cry if I tried to get him to try broccoli you know like the regular kid stuff yeah And it's like this little kid in a monster pajamas outfit through the whole book. So years later, I ended up up working at a preschool. I was a career counselor and just was not, you know, I just kind of lost the joy and I needed a different schedule. I needed to have more flexibility to be with my kid. And anyway, I ended up working at his school and just if you're working at a preschool is like being on the ground floor of the human condition like you see like all the things that we deal with as adults and how they sort of start so I actually my first book was based on a day where I was just having a, like a not good day and it was lunchtime and I said to the kids in my class because I had spilled some sugar and so I was late for work I forgot my shoes so I had to wear my run back home and get them because I only had my winter boots. And then I had made cookies and forgot to pack one for my lunch. And that was like the end. That was the struggle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I told the kids in my class, I was like, you know, I'm not having a very good day at all. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my gosh, that is the title of my first kids book that I'm going to put in a more public sphere. And so the idea. Yeah. And so I I think I have five or six. I can't remember right now, but I'm working on the last one. I think the last one is the sixth one. And I'm like way behind on that. That's a whole nother discussion. Um, But but I just felt like there's a reality that young black girls, black children, but from my perspective, black girls are often seen as older than they are and are punished more harshly. And there is a work that, of course, right now I can't think of a book about um, how, you know, Black girls are being pushed out academic settings and pushed into like punishment and more and more. And so I felt like I needed to create this little Black girl who has everyday experiences, who laughs too loud, who cries, who, who says things aren't fair. And she's like treated sweetly and tenderly by adults. Mm. And I felt like both that was something that every child, you know, black girls need to see that, but every child needs to see that because other children pick up on how adults treat (laughs) other children. You know what I mean? Yeah. But also to sort of give adults, to give kids tools to solve problems and also to give adults ways to support kids in solving problems that is more gentle and affirming and space giving as opposed to like judging and punitive and so I felt 
You know what I mean? So I felt like the kids' books were a way to do that. And I'm working on a project called Happy and Free Kids Space. And my goal with that is to pull in other authors and illustrators eventually and publish books that feature kids who are, you know, various sizes across the whole like gender spectrum and really just creating this sort of world where we begin to make space for the humans (laughs) that are here and doing that through the vehicle of like kids books and also just give an opportunity to artists of color and LGBTQ, you know, like to create opportunities to be creative because the other piece of being a, a marginalized person is that oftentimes whether it's financial, whether it's just like a support, we don't always have the same opportunities to pursue creative work professionally. So in my like grand scheme, it would be such a cool thing to employ like artists to be artists and do their work. So that's like my happy and free kids space grand. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, I've always dreamed of making a kid's book that was like the book I needed as a kid. So I might need to like yes. collaborate with you. <laughs> yes, let's do that. I would love to. Where You Belong children's book. It will be very, Oh very my gosh. Oh, that just gave me chills. Where You Belong for Kids. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll call you after this and we're doing something. Yay. I love that. And I get so fascinated when I get to be around kids because that's the best description I've ever heard is like the human condition being in the kindergarten. <laughs> like I can't even imagine. And yet like the few kids that I get to the privilege of like spending time with in my life, they're incredible. And they think in mm-hmm. such an interesting way. And it's also cool to see what a child is like before they've been broken down mm-hmm. and sort of like shaped up to be a good little boy or a good little girl and, yeah. and given freedom to like explore gender and to explore like mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard as adults if we weren't given time to be children and time to sort of find our sense of agency. It's really hard mm-hmm. to trust people. It's hard like there's so many things that we can help support kids with if we can teach them, you know, like even just self-trust, like body trust is yeah. a huge thing. I love that you're also showing adults how to treat children because I feel like if we weren't treated well as kids uh-huh. ourselves, then we just continue. We're like, oh, this is how I was treated. So this is how I'm going to continue to perpetuate treatment right. for others. And we have an opportunity to help everyone, I think, when we can work with children, because it's such an act of empathy to work with a child, because we're like biologically, like, especially if it's your own child, like predisposed to protect and like, <laughs> and so... Mm-hmm. I think when we're given modeling or tools like books, Mm -hmm. we're able to see like, oh, it it could be that simple and it it doesn't have to be so complicated. I just love this. Mm -hmm. I love the way you Mm -hmm. also take your healing and it takes a huge level of vulnerability to be able to show up, especially with kids, because kids will just like tell you how it is, you know? (laughs) 
Yes, they but will. They also, <laughs> they also yeah. get it. Like they get these really hard, complex things because when you break them down, they're we're all these, you know, beings who want to be seen and want to be wanted and cared for. And, and I love that. And so tell me, have you felt like through your art, you found a sense of belonging? I'm just curious about like how you find that space to be you and where it shows up. Wow, that's a really good. Another good question. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe through my art, I found sometimes I feel like I find belonging. Sometimes I feel like I do it anyway. <laughs> like maybe sometimes I feel like I'm making myself like stick out. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to stick out. I just want to. And I guess belonging doesn't mean that you don't stick out. But I guess mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like you have I to create the space. Yeah, but then sometimes I realize that just by showing up, I find belonging. Like, I might tell myself, this is terrible. Don't say that. Don't paint that. (laughs) Oh, that story. And then I, like, click send, (laughs) share. (laughs) Yeah. Battle of just shrink back. And then, so I feel like in some ways I fear that I won't belong, but I find out that there are places. Well, and there are some people, of course, who are like, oh my gosh, I think I can come across as pretty intense sometimes. And that's okay too, right? Like if if I'm too much. (laughs) Yeah. And I try to remember that when I feel like there's some people like, oh my goodness, you know, (laughs) I'm like, you know what? They get. They get to be that. My approval is not what they let them do them. And so I think. Totally. So I think, yeah, like through my art, I continue to find belonging. And I think in some ways, just continuing to just peel back layers and be more myself. I think I was listening to some Brene Brown thing. So I hope I'm not like quoting her and thinking it's my own idea. (laughs) (laughs) I do that all the time. I'm like, I had this really wise thing. And I'm like, oh God, it was like a famous person. And I'm like, my bad. (laughs) Right, exactly. So yeah, so just putting it out there in case this came from her because it was about belonging. But oh, just, I think it is Brene Brown. But anyway, like when I try to feel like I have to like put on a certain persona like that to fit in. Like, like that's that's not belonging. So the more I let myself be myself, the more I feel like I get to feel belonging. And like you said, it's like it's vulnerable and it feels risky. We all have our ways, our quirks, our little idiosyncrasies and our weirdnesses. And it's like scary to expose that. Or sometimes like people think I'm super deep and I'm just like looking for makeup and a new like, <laughs> you know, new Totally. <laughs> and and, and like, I think too, it's like giving ourselves permission to be dynamic. I can be so mindful and have a lot of practices that help me feel very grounded. And then in the next moment, like I'm going to get cut off and curse you off and like explode (laughs) at my partner and like overreact. Mm -hmm. And we get to be these like multifaceted beings who are a mess sometimes and who are super Mm -hmm. wise sometimes or who are like Mm -hmm. flippant exactly and I really like this point you're on which is like I never belong 
when I'm trying mm-hmm. to be something for someone else. Mm-hmm. It's like the belonging comes from showing up as it is. And the belonging yeah. piece I'm noticing is more of this inside of each of us piece that mm-hmm. like I've noticed lately, especially with this pandemic, like if I am sad or like upset, I will try mm-hmm. so hard to not be those things because I'm mm-hmm. like, it's a lot. I don't need to be. It's like, relax. It's cool. We're just at home. It's fine. And until I allow myself to be honest and be like, no, I'm really yeah. upset and I don't feel good and I don't know why. And there's nothing mm-hmm. actually happening in this moment. And still, I feel that I feel closer yeah. to myself than ever. Yes. Yes. I love that. And I love that. Yeah. Feeling closer to yourself than ever. Cause isn't that like the thing I, feel like I'm really just coming in into awareness of how closeness outside of me feels empty if I'm not close to myself because it's almost oh. just not real you know it's just like I don't want to say not real but it's not as deep maybe or it doesn't sink as deep it feels like it's kind of bottoms out almost I feel for me personally like compliments can't land validation mm-hmm. can't be there like even security mm-hmm. I don't feel secure <clears throat> Mm-hmm. with another if I'm not like down for me and knowing that yes. like whatever I'm feeling is allowed if I'm yep. on edge it's over mm-hmm. like people and people feel it too like when we're disconnected mm-hmm. from ourselves we are so much more reactive yeah I found mm-hmm. I can be yeah yeah same yeah and like I love what you said, even like the positive things don't land exactly. And like, to your point, I don't know, like, sometimes I'm just like a little spacey or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I just being with myself in that moment or just like, sometimes I'll share these ridiculous things on Facebook, you know, like, is that to me, like, I do try to build authentic connections. I'm not like a person who's like out a lot. And so I try to build meaningful connections that way and so I do like to share like some of my little oddities you know like I planted these strawberries a week ago I haven't shared that part yet but I was telling my sister how like I was trying to do this birthday countdown but I got distracted because I kept staring at my strawberries (laughs) 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 like sharing that stuff that you know like sometimes I'm absolutely ridiculous I should know that a strawberry is not going to be harvested in seven days, but there I am. And I totally get distracted from my birthday countdown. And that, to me, that is like, that kind of stuff fosters belonging. When I could just be like totally absurd and somebody gets it, it's like, that's just me. And I'm lovable. I can love myself in that. And the people who can connect or appreciate it, you don't have to be like me, but just recognize that. Like one of my friends told me, what did she say? She told me, because I was trying to convince my husband not to shoo these geese away because I wanted them to nest in our backyard. And I was like, I want to be a goose auntie. And my oh my God, friend, yes. And my one friend was like, you are just a whole shenanigan. And I'm like, you get me. <laughs> so, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, I all the animals in our yard. I'm like, oh, our little nieces and nephews, <laughs> our little dear babies. <laughs> we used to have a I love that. He's gone. Oh, yeah, he's gone on. Anyway, I think, I think, yeah, I don't know where he went, but yeah, like those things to me, like, are all a part of belonging. Whereas before, honestly, I might have hid that because I wanted some people to think I was like 
intellectual or whatever. Ah, uh, yeah, totally. Too frivolous, or especially as somebody who shares my work online, sometimes yeah. there's even more pressure to show up just like polished and like a singular personality. Even not personality, but totally. a brand. Absolutely. I get caught up in that myself all the time of thinking I need to be a certain way. And then I'll just come on here with like some bangs that are two day bangs. And we're just talking about <laughs> life. Because mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And I think that's those are actually the moments that people appreciate because those are the unpredictable ones. And those are the like, yeah. Oh my God, what a human this person is. Like, look at them. Right. This is great. Right. Or I want to do that. Or I do that. Like, as you're talking about geese, we, mm. Titus and I, my partner, have been doing these like Sunday drives. It kind of feels like mm-hmm. we're in the 50s. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. But we were driving and we saw a majestic goose and a wild mm-hmm. bunny just jumping around. And it was mm-hmm. so sweet because we like stopped. And like gazed upon them. And it was just like a nice moment also to be like how cool that humanity is chilling enough to let like the animals frolic a little bit more. So (laughs) I get it. I'm into that. (laughs) (laughs) So I am curious for you. You could take this any way you want because you work with children, you work with adults, you work with artists and creatives. What are three things that you think are really important when you're creating a space that you want people to feel welcome and you want to feel yourself welcome? Mm-hmm. I, I've been thinking about this. I think space keeps coming up a lot for me. And I think just giving space where I feel I have space to be and giving people space to be, that's one thing. Right. Like just to let people sort of show up as they are and where I feel like I can show up as I am. I think kindness, honestly, I think that kindness is so important. I think that maybe kindness and and grace, which not like being to the point that you're not being honest about how you feel. But I think that sometimes it's so easy to like take what somebody is or what they're doing and just like smash them with it as opposed to sort of extending some kindness and some space for growth. Yeah, look at our politics right now and how people are treating people during this pandemic and like the race to open the economy. I mean, some people are just like, whoa, you know, but I think in, in a more general sense, just kindness is so important. I don't know. I don't know what the third one would be because I think I have too many <laughs> like humor. I think sometimes, you know, I just think so play is something that I put out there a lot. And honestly, a lot of the things that I've done, like through my art, through children's books, it's a lot about play. And just to me, play is so important. And I don't think of play just as, well, I'll give you like a short example. Like if you're yeah. on a playground, and you listen to kids play, sometimes they're playing like obviously like some version of law enforcement and criminal, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're playing this game where everybody died and there's one person still alive or maybe two people and they've got a rescue. And I realized that, and I'm sure like there's like research about this, but <laughs> I just noticed, you know, like they, a lot of their play is really exploring like scary things and potentially scary things in the world and making sense of it through 
play. And so I think of play as an adult. Like, why wouldn't I continue to play with scary things like belonging and vulnerability? And so sometimes when I'm feeling like, ooh, if I share this, what is going to happen? I just sort of slip into play mode. And I think, oh, <laughs> let me just play and see what happens. You know, just <laughs> Yeah. So I think play is important as giving people space as a form of exploration. And not that you like everything you're exploring, but you're giving yourself space to kind of dance around it and see how things feel and what works and what doesn't work and and process things that are challenging just to sort of figure out. So let's say that play, space, and kindness. Oh my my gosh, those are so good. And I love that you brought play in. I think as adults, we forget that we have to play too. And that it's like a vital part of understanding our world. Uh huh. I love that. Yes. I think with marginalized identities, a lot of times our options and our opportunities to play get truncated or interrupted by oppression. And so I think mm-hmm. that's even more why to me, like people who've experienced oppression need play because we deserve to take that back for ourselves. And in so many ways I could go on and on, but that's another reason why I think play is so important because I think with marginalized identities, a lot of times we don't get, we or we didn't get at some point room to play a lot of times because we have to survive or because it's not safe on some level. And so as adults, we can create safe spaces to play and re-engage where we may have lost that chance at different and, points. And what does that look like for someone who might be listening and is like, I don't even know how to play as an adult? Right. That's a really good question. I think so for me, a lot of play comes through art and nature. So as far as art, like I do art journaling workshops where we get to kind of play around. And I tell people like, you can play with everything from the prompt to playing with the idea that, you know what, I don't want to do this prompt today. Just really giving yourself a lot of space. And we do things like scribble, smoosh paint, you know, rip paper. Like some of the prompts that I share are sort of intended to sort of reconnect or create connections where they may not have happened at different points. I think that didn't do an art per se, giving yourself some tiny place where you can make mistakes or make a mess and not have to fix it is important. That's why to me, art journaling is so nice because art journaling is a place where I don't have to fix. I don't have to present anything that's lovely and put together and finding a way to carve that out for yourself. I think nature, like observing nature, of course, but also like, I don't know. So I'm like a a terrible gardener and there's very serious gardeners who won't (laughs) appreciate this, but (laughs) like since I like, I love a little plant that like just trying it out. If it doesn't work out, it's okay. Or like I tried to grow broccoli from a broccoli stalk and it grew like these. It looked kind of scary. (laughs) It's a little... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the buds started growing, but it didn't actually, I don't know, it's a whole thing. Two people told me very early on, like, this is not going to work. And I was like, I'm a tourist. I'm going to try it. Thank you. And so, <laughs> like, thank you for your advice, but I'm going to have to yeah. learn this one on my own. Exactly. And they were right. And I knew they were right as soon as they told me, but I am like insufferably stubborn. And so (laughs) I kept it for like two or three weeks, but it was just like a project that had zero 
consequence, you know, just watching to see what would happen if I tried to grow broccoli. And so I guess my point is that if you don't know how to interplay, my biggest thing, and this is what I gave to myself initially art journal before I started doing courses was just giving myself a book, a notebook that I could make messages in and not feel and practice really feeling how it felt to not have to create a presentation. And I even used books that were like actual books, you know, like somebody wrote a book. Yeah. My, my boss like gave me that book, Who Moved My Cheese? And no hate on that book. I didn't read it, but I used it for an art journal. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Oh, so you'll actually just, so you'll just like use the pages of the book as the journal? Yeah, I've done that too. Like lately I've used like notebooks, so I just buy like cheap, you know, lined paper. But Uh yeah, I have used books and old books as art journals and I glued the pages together, cut them up because it's like so gratifying because everybody, we all learn to be careful with books and stuff like that. And of course it's important on some level, but there's something like really satisfying about totally breaking that rule and taking it. It was fun. And so, and most of it was not like beautiful work at all. It was just the, the fun of, smear and paint on the pages and gluing papers together and I don't want to minimize because I know for some people like yeah entering play is really difficult those are just like ideas off the top of my head of carving out the tiniest little space to break rules and with no consequence I love that I love it because I think that it is so intimidating to be like because it seems like something innately easy that you should be able to do but I love these examples of like First of all, I'm going to go destroy a book because I just think that that's like such an unwritten rule that I have in my head that I'm like, no, you don't, you don't even bend the pages. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to bend every page. Um, (laughs) But I also love this idea of setting a space where there's no consequences and just to play with like, what would happen? What if? And how that's like a nice way to sort of ease into this idea of play, but that Also, if this idea of play is new for you, just let it sort of simmer and think about like how important as a child it is to play and why, and then see if that would feel like it resonates with you as an adult now. I love this. Okay. So I have my moneymaker question now, and that is if you had a magical wand or powers or, you know, however you want to have your magic, you could, I don't want to disempower you and how you're going to facilitate your magic. But Mm -hmm. what would you do if you could change one thing about the world to make it more inclusive or inviting for you and people that you love? So just so you know, I do have a magic wand. (laughs) It's made out of a paper towel roll and recycled paper and glitter. (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. I need you to send me a picture of it. (laughs) I will. It's a mess, but it it serves its purpose. And I also have a paper crown, but I think it's smushed under some art <laughs> in my art space. But um, Oh my gosh, that's great. So I think if I could use my magic wand for actual magic, I would definitely do like a three for one kind of thing. Because I think like 
the white supremacy, the patriarchy, and capitalism. Like that trifecta of grossness that just totally poisons so much. And I don't know, just to see how much destruction comes out of those systems and whether it's racism, whether it's like now, like I mentioned, you know, trying to open up quote unquote, open the economy as if there's no other way to make sure that people are thriving besides to throw them to the wolves, <laughs> you know, with no yeah. uh, vaccine. It's just absurd to me. I was like at the grocery store or something. I don't know where I was, but I just sometimes observe people and I'm like, it's just so absurd that we think that everybody is supposed to be small. It doesn't even make sense. Like, it really does not make sense. And yet, this is, like, marketed to us, and it's pushed down our throats. Or sort of, from the time we're small, like, that's one thing. Like, even if people don't want their kids to be, like, racist or whatever, like, fat jokes still somehow are the salient thing that you have to start so young, like, hey, sort of teaching kids that it's not okay. Like, we don't need to expect everybody's body to look a certain way. And I think they all kind of, that white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism kind of all work together to keep these structures in place just to benefit a few, you know, they don't help anything. So that's what I would use my magic on, just sort of dismantle that and let something else beautiful grow in its place, something that is inclusive and makes space for diversity and variety of existence. Who even wants to live in a homogenous, like how fucking boring can you be? Mm -hmm. Seriously, right? I don't know. We could have a whole other conversation. It's sort of, when you think, you know, when you think about it, it's really, it makes no sense to think that everybody should be the same, should think the same, should look the same. And yet it's like a profitable model to convince everybody that something's wrong. (laughs) You know, if you don't fit this narrow, this narrow idea of what is worthy and it sets people up for exploitation. I don't know. I get tangled in my thoughts, but yes, that's, but I would use my magic on. Oh, I love that. I feel like that is a great use of your magic. And I have loved this conversation so much because I think bringing in early development and bringing in that like belonging really is this place that we find inside of ourselves Mm -hmm. is so important and such a good reminder, especially as we're kind of, we're kind of in a position to be very much alone with ourselves right now and our thoughts. Mm. Even when yeah. we're with our families, there's still just so much time to just be in it. So yeah. I think that you're giving us some inspiration on how to just create some more playfulness. And I think not only does it help remind you that you can play, but it also helps make things feel a little bit more jovial sometimes. And even Mm -hmm. when you're digging into some more uncomfortable places, there's still that like exhilaration of the curiosity that comes with like, oh my God, am I going to go like, look at this feeling? Um, And that might just (laughs) be me as a, I'm an Enneatype 7. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know those, but I'm very much the enthusiast. (laughs) Oh, cool. but I'm so grateful to have had you on the show. This has been such a lovely conversation. And I know that there's many people who are listening who are like, how do I get in on some of that action? So can you tell us a little bit about any things you have coming up or any ways we can engage and connect with you? 
Yeah. So uh, I have an art journal workshop coming up for this summer. It's called Summer Camp and I'm calling it Hot Flash Summer. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going to call it a hot feminist summer. I had all these different ideas. And I, obviously like the hot girl summer last summer. I really love that wording. But as someone who turned 45 just right now today, I I wanted to play with sort of like continuing that idea of like hot girl summer, hot flash summer, of continuing to sort of play with our magic, for lack of a better word, and how like the continuation of like as a person who's 45, we don't have to be 45 middle aged. We have like, like a nice range of people, but just sort of playing with our inner wisdom and and continuing to like play with transformation and hearing our own voices. And so I thought like sometimes the hot flashes and stuff like that, like women will talk about it amongst themselves, but generally speaking as a part of our broader culture, like women's transformations are supposed to be secret. So I thought it was fun to kind of play with like hot flash summer, like, you know, not sort of pursuing eternal youth, but just like being in love with yourself wherever you are. So that's like the short version. But anyway, not the short version. It's like the thinking it out version because I haven't typed it out yet. But you can find that on my website, jenniferpricedavis.com. It's going to start June 8th. So I really got to get my tail in gear and put it on the site. <laughs> and then I may or may not be doing another grief camp. I did one last year and just giving space for grief. And then there's October workshop called Play and Healing at the Intersections and giving voice to our own identities at the intersectionality of our identity. So similar to what I was just talking about, just how like we're sort of taught that whiteness, cisness, thinness, wealthiness, wealthiness, like these are all aspirational and some ways get separated from the value of our own being. And so given space for that. I ran that workshop just recently and it was just such rich and beautiful conversation and experience. Oh, and I'm on Instagram at underscore Jennifer was here. And I have another one, but I can't remember the name right now. So if you follow that one. <laughs> we'll find you. Yeah. And then I'll also tag you in our Instagram posts so that people can find you. Uh, okay. This has just been such a lovely conversation. I am super grateful that you spent your time with us and I hope you have the best 45th birthday ever. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm so grateful and joyful. This is a nice birthday present. Thank you. Oh, that makes me so happy. And <laughs> we will share the birthday love when we post this video so people can wish you happy belated when it's uh, live. <laughs> it's not a video, it's recording. I'm still getting used to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> All righty. Well, have the best day. And everyone remember that inside of you, you always belong. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs>